Beyond the Pillion is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kaurna people, and we would like to pay our respects to elders, past and present. Welcome to Beyond the Pillion. This is episode 20. My name is Kahiwa Sabaya. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the chaotic one. And my name is Mark Drexler. He, him pronouns, and that's right. I'm the one tattooed on his arm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we are still deep in the throes of uh, getting ready for Sheila's shakedown um, in now just a, a couple of weeks. Um, in particular for me, uh, getting ready for the ride over and back, so doing the full 1,800, you know, 20-odd thousand, no, 2,000-odd kilometres on the bike this time, uh, which will be quite exciting. No backup Um, car. No backup car. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about choosing and prepping the right gear for a long-distance ride. Hmm. Which makes me think a little bit about, uh, so I did a similar trip late last year. In fact, almost almost identical trip. So about 1,800-kilometre mm. round trip over about six days perhaps, mm. uh, five, five or six days, uh, some of those days. So it doesn't sound like a lot of kilometres, but some of those roads were very windy. So sort of 300-odd yeah. kilometres in a day was actually – quite a lot of um, a lot of riding along the Great Ocean Road and yeah it was it was the first long ride I'd done like multi-day yeah. you know riding and then staying somewhere getting up and just rinse repeat for uh, for, for multiple days and it was uh, yeah I think it did make me learn a few things even though I've been writing for many years it was so uh, mm. definitely something that I got off thinking yeah okay next time I'll I'll probably do a few things a few things differently <laughs> mm. and that is uh, that's the plan for this episode so building off of what was discussed in episode 13 in particular mm-hmm. where we covered um, preparing your bike and planning the route um, for longer rides. Uh, This time around, we want to think about what gear and things to actually pack uh, Mm -hmm. because when you are riding on a motorcycle, longer types of rides, you don't necessarily have the extra storage space that might be available if you were driving in a car or van or some other type of vehicle. Um, And this can be a particular challenge when you are as kind of Mark was talking about, and we're planning, you know, for longer day, multi-day rides, potentially going through country or rural areas where um, there might be limited availability or um, opening Hmm. hours of different kinds of shops and services. Um, It can be a bit of a challenge to work out actually what to take. Absolutely. And about the only real distinction that we will also draw in terms of drawing a boundary on what we're talking about, what we're not talking about today is adventure bike riding through all sorts of terrain, all sorts of country, extended periods of time away from things like electricity, running water, internet, everything else. We're not talking about service stations, fuel, everything else. So we're not going to go into into that kind of touring because part one, neither of us are experienced in it, and part two, it is a whole different 
um, yeah, different yeah. genre of writing that really would warrant its own entire blog about long distance adventure writing. And I'm <laughs> sure there are people who have done it better than we could. Yes, and we, we don't know a few of them. And so if that is something that you are interested in hearing more about, then please do drop us a, a comment or send us a message on Instagram or YouTube and we will work that out for you. Uh, but for now, for today, um, we want to have a bit of a think about when you are going for anywhere more than like a few hundred kilometres um, yeah, or more than a few hours over multiple days mm-hmm. and you've got limited space and availability and storage and what you can take, what are the top things that you should consider packing? And we've got a list of about seven. Mark, do you want to start us off? Absolutely. So noting here that we're, we're talking about potentially going through country areas, uh, something that that um, seemed worthy of a spot in the list at number seven is <laughs> some, some hard currency. Mm. And that is a bit of a mixture. So some folding, some folding money, but also some some coins. Now, the reason this seemed to be useful to have in the, in the list is, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there. I'm one of them who rarely touch physical money anymore. Mm. Uh, ninety you know, something percent of the transactions that I do will be by a, by a credit or debit card. It's just the way we're going as a society, like it or not, love it or hate it, yada yada yada. But that's kind of where we're at. So for me, it was a real reminder to say, yep, when you are um, in a situation where you need money for a, as in actual money for an old school vending machine or a uh, or an older payphone or at vendors roadside stalls where they don't have electronic payment options or yeah. anything like that or even if you are in an area with sketchy internet which mm-hmm. living in Australia I think we are sitting behind possibly Belarus or somewhere like that in terms of the quality of air internet so not assuming that everywhere you go will have fantastic internet with brilliant payment options that you can just do as yeah. if you're in a major city so carry carry some backup money it is a low risk activity that is just it's it's piece of cheap insurance to carry some Mm. folding money and some coins with you no matter where you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're not, you you can't be guaranteed to have access to, um, yeah, places with internet, to uh, ATMs, to be able to get cash out, those types of things. Um, The worst case scenario is you end up in a situation where if only you had some cash, um, you know, something else might be able to happen, some Hmm. water, some food, some maintenance or some other kind of fix on your bike, some accommodation, um, you'd hate to not have it on you at that particular point. So that's number seven. Number six um, is something to actually keep your bike safe when you are stopping, particularly overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, So on the the journeys, the plans that we have done to she, uh, to Sheila's and and rural Victoria and to Ballin, uh, sorry to Melbourne and back to Adelaide, you're stopping in some motels or hotels um, in country and rural areas. Um, we've talked previously about the ease with which a motorcycle can be picked up and taken, even if it might not be yours. Um, and it would be really, really uh, upsetting, I think, to be in a situation where you are in a rural place 
with you know limited options for transport back to a major city um, with all of your gear and to wake up and your bike be gone. So mm-hmm. uh, number six on that list, uh, we particularly recommend something like a disc lock um, over a chain or something else. Um, they are you know, a little bit heavier, but they actually take up really um, very little space mm-hmm. um, in a top box or a pannier or some other type of thing um, and are quite effective given the space that they take up in terms of being a deterrent um, and somewhat preventer of, of theft of your bike. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's not just being in rural areas. It's no matter where you are, if you're away from home, you don't want to wake up one morning and find out that your sole mode of transport and most of your stuff has vanished yeah. or, e- or even not vanished, even just been attempted theft and is mm. then lying damaged to the point that you can't move it. That just opens up a whole new world of headaches that if you can Definitely. avoid it with an alarm disc lock, just do it it's worth the yes as you've said kahiba they are slightly heavy but work around that take it and use it religiously yep (laughs) number five a basic first aid kit so if you are out on the road, uh, the most common things that you are likely to need are firstly going to be some painkillers um, mm-hmm. you know, sitting for extended periods of time, particularly if you are elderly like me, then you know, every day <laughs> is a new adventure into the niggles and pain that your body will, will bestow upon you. So having something just to stave off the pain for another six to eight hours until you can get to your next destination and have a lie down is going to be really important. So um, whatever is appropriate, ideally non-drowsy, don't be drowsy on a motorcycle, bad life choice. Mm. Uh, things like or antihistamines if you happen mm. to be allergic or even if you aren't allergic but you've never really been stung by something, avoiding a anaphylactic reaction is a really good plan. I've had them. They're not much fun. So yep. carrying antihistamines is a very good idea. And even just if it's dusty and you're out there and you're riding through a whole lot of dusty, cruddy air that makes your oh, nose start to do that. Eyes and your nose, yeah. Yeah, not riding along with a whole runny nose and eye thing going on is not a lot of fun. Um, Band-aids, if bits start to rub where they shouldn't, so shoes in particular, particularly if you're mm. wearing shoes that you haven't worn before for extended periods of time. Um Yep, being able to band-aid up is going to help you a lot, even even hands as well. You know, I have right mm. now a callus that got sliced open yesterday from doing four-point-something hours on a bike with gloves that I'd hadn't ridden long periods of time for. So stuff like that to be able to cover up. Bandages as well in the, in the unfortunate event that you do need to, you know, you have a graze or something like that. Bandages, hand sanitizer is not a bad idea either. Mm-hmm. Um, just for general, you know, avoiding coming down with something horrible from, you know, touching all sorts of things in roadhouses along the way. That sounded worse than I meant it to, but anyway... <laughs> Um, and finally, sunscreen. If you are anywhere, yeah. even if it's going to be cloudy, 
um, the highest risk spot, I reckon, on me anyway, will vary, and noting I have no hair, but um, the little bit between the back of my neck, uh, between my helmet and the, the top of my jacket, just on the back of my neck there, mm. yeah, I, I have to put stuff on that, otherwise I will get cooked. Okay, but you don't have to worry about that because you've, you've got hair. Um, well, and I wear a neck gaiter, neck sock. Pretty That's religiously for exactly this reason because mm. otherwise I will forget to put sunscreen on and or the texture of it on the back of my neck is yep. skin crawly. No, thank you. And wherever wherever it is, if there are exposed bits that you're out for four, five, six hours riding in a day, even if it's cloudy, they're going to get burnt and the worst thing to do is to get them burnt on day one mm. and then know you've got another three, four, five days with exposed burnt bits. So avoid yeah. it. Carry your sunscreen. And I was Number just f- thinking Sorry. together with um, antihistamines, you're talking there about, mm-hmm. you know, dust and things getting into your eyes or, or similar, even if you've got like a graze or something, um, yeah, something like uh, eye drops or yeah, similar that are basically saline solutions yes. yep. um, can be really good for your eyes, but also to help potentially clear out um, a graze or a cut. Mm-hmm. Remembering that the goal of this is not necessarily to fix things, it's to get you into a fit enough state, generally speaking, to be able to get you to the next stop. Um, Spot on. Where hopefully you know, a more robust set of medical equipment and services will be available to you. Hmm. As you take your <laughs> next stop into Wolf Creek. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, definitely um, I, I didn't have that one on there, but I think eye drops, mm. particularly you are going to be sitting on a bike, even if you have your visor down and or glasses on, you're still going to have a lot of air rushing past your eyes. Mm. Do that for enough hours, you are going to start getting dry eyes. So carry some of that. It's a tiny little bottle that you can get those things in. Yeah. It'll be worth it. Definitely. Number four. Yeah, number four, similar, but this time thinking about if something happens to your bike, um, Mm. what are the basic things um, to essentially do a bit of a MacGyver fix Mm -hmm. um, to that bike in an emergency enough to get you through to the nearest town? So some of those things include uh, some gaffer tape or um, I don't know what it's called in other places, but essentially some kind of... Mm electrical mechanical tape thing that'll yep. bring things together um uh some zip ties so things that'll help keep things together a multi-tool or a pocket knife um you know something that can potentially help you either tighten things or pry things apart if they need to be hmm. um essentially this is you know in a situation where you might have um a low speed drop of the bike or something like that and you just need to either tape something up or if something comes loose or falls off, how can you connect it back on so that it is in a fit enough state to get you uh, to the next mechanic or service station or somewhere where you can get some help depending on the severity of the incident. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not about carrying a full, you know, mechanic's, shed on your bike um this is about enough to get you through to the nearest town essentially spot on running repairs yes Mm -hmm. mark number three number three yes sorry uh which kind of flows on from from that running repairs so Mm. you you hope that along the way you won't have anything happen but if you do uh I think it is worth having a look beforehand at motorbike shops that are along your route. Mm. 
mm. within the vicinity of anywhere that you're going. And I would suggest getting um, getting a list of them and their addresses and their phone numbers. Now, the reason I say getting a list of them, ideally in a hard copy format, is kind of coming back to that emergency emergency management stuff to say, yeah. okay, you are you, you're stuck in the middle of nowhere. You don't have internet, but you do have phone or you do have access to a pay phone or you know um somewhere that you can at least phone somewhere to say yep you are stuck in wherever um, and being able to phone up a motorbike shop and say yeah okay i'm going to be rolling through through your town tomorrow is it a is it okay if i drop in and get a temporary fix done and working working in a bike shop we do have that f- semi-regularly people who are going uh you know coast to coast from australia which is a big big trip going from the west coast over in perth over to melbourne or sydney Uh, i i've had a few of those where they are passing through they say yep in a couple of days time going to be coming through adelaide either i need a new tire or uh, a couple of them have sort of been hey would you be able to do an oil and filter for me while I'm there because they're doing mm. such big trips? But even just knowing where they are, even if it's something as simple as you check your chain, it's starting to look a little bit dry or a little bit loose, phoning ahead and saying, hey, if I'm here at such and such a time, could I pop in and could someone please just do a quick adjust adjustment of my chain and spray some mm. chain lube on it just to, to keep me going until I'm home? I would like to hope that most motorbike shops uh, are operated by people who would understand that kind of vibe and would certainly like we do say yeah okay as long as i know you're coming yeah i'll make sure that there's that there's um, space that we can do it for you given most of these things are only quick relatively quick quick jobs and yes okay some of them may charge you a small fee to do something like, yep, check and adjust and loopy chain, but that's still better than having to lug around uh, all of the gear that you need to properly clean a chain, like um, degreaser, a chain mm. brush, some rags mm. and some chain lube. That is stuff that you really can't afford to carry unless you've got masses of storage space, which on a motorbike, let's be real, you won't. So no. have that list. Hopefully you won't need to use it, but kind of similar to having the change in the folding money, it's just a very cheap, simple piece of insurance that you can do along the way. And that's why I put that one at number three. Number two. Number two, something that is very important and dear to my heart in particular. Uh, <laughs> I think we talk about it a fair bit, um, but it, it things to keep um, yeah, your hydration and your snacks up. Um, so whether that is a water bottle, um, uh, ideally one hopefully that maybe is insulated so it can keep some water cool um, for you um, and risk, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of um, uh, warm kind of water. Uh, when we're out riding or when it's warm um, or a camelback or other kind of, um, you know, water sack I don't know what the non-branded name for that is um yeah Mm, to be able to have a a bag of water with a a tube that you can then kind of straw a loop and and suck on through there so that can be really handy um don't take up too much space but can be really useful to help keep you hydrated if you are going through 
areas or um, a route that might not have very many stops along the way or you're wanting to avoid having to buy a bottle of water each time you might need to stop. The other thing being alongside that, things like snacks. Um, So I know that that is something that's a lot more important to me than I think to to other people who might be riding, Mm -hmm. but particularly um, as someone with ADHD, with autism, um, I'm often thinking about what are the things that I can do to help keep my brain and my concentration going. So the snacks that I typically think about are um, something that's got sugar or carbs. So for um, a brief kind of energy boost, mm. particularly if you're in an accident or collision or something else, um, something to kind of bump you up or you're, you know, 30, 30 minutes away from your next stop and you're starting to flag, something that can help keep your brain going. Um, and also some protein options. So um, we know that these help keep you fuller for longer. So you're less likely to have hunger pangs, um, but they're also really good for um, aiding brain concentration over longer periods. Um, So if there's a longer time in between stops, having protein snacks available for you will um, help keep your brain going that little bit better. Um, So that's something I know that I think about quite a lot and tend to plan my route and my uh, gear that I pack around water and particularly snacks. (laughs) And Mark, number one. And number one, of course, there has to be a twist. And the twist is that number one in the in the way of things that you should be taking with you on your trip is actually a bike that is as prepared for the road as it can possibly be. <laughs> ah, yes, you didn't see that one coming, did you? And this comes back to what we talked about in previous episodes, but, um, you know, we've – We've sort of talked about a few of the things that you should be carrying, but a lot of the things that you hopefully won't need to carry or that you Mm. won't need along the way are going to be not needed because you have a bike that is as as ready as it possibly can be for Mm. this kind of trip. So that means getting your servicing done, making sure that your that your tires are okay, making sure that every everything on the bike is is working and you know, you, you're not going to get 500 kilometres in and then hear that your brake pads are metal on metal and thinking, oh, yeah, bugger, I should have changed those before we came. Um, so really yeah. just being as, as prepared as you can, spend the money in advance. It's going to be a hell of a lot cheaper and easier doing that than getting – yeah, having a tire that you've run down that you can see carpet through, and trust mm. me, I see carpets that have been run. <laughs> sorry, tires that have been run until carpet pops through them. I saw one last week at work, um, and when one of those blows, if you blow in the middle of nowhere, it's going to be a far more expensive activity to dig yourself mm. out of that hole than just to prepare before before you go along. Um, and and on that preparation side, even just things like knowing your bike, so yeah. knowing how it operates and knowing, for example, what your petrol tank capacity is and what you mm. can expect in terms of your uh, litres per 100 kilometres or miles per gallon if you're from the remaining country on earth that uses that system, um, <laughs> what, what it is and what you can expect to get out of a tank before you get down to maybe, you know, 20% and then by that mm. stage, like there's really no excuse unless you get 
lost or something similar, or you have a mechanical fault that you should be getting anywhere near empty um, on a on a road trip. Which is why talking about things like you know, for for this case here, talking about carrying extra bladders of fuel, which you can do. Um, but I would argue that at least in in the kind of terrain that we're talking about, plan your stops carefully and you should not need to do that. I can't think of many many places along the main, main drags in Australia where you would ever get caught up in that maybe Nullarbor plane, which I've never done. That might be yeah, pushing I'm the friendship, I think. Yeah, I'm thinking like the road out, out west of Adelaide towards Perth, Perth. or as you head north, from Adelaide towards um, the centre of the country and yep. Northern Territory, Alice Springs kind of way. Mm. I'm aware that there are routes along there with quite long gaps between mm. um, petrol stations, but that is, you know, coming That's back the to exception. episode 13, the, the point there around actually planning your route around those types of things. And mm. if that is going to be the case, then, yeah, you might need to uh, take some extra fuel along with you but ideally shouldn't have to if you know your bike Hmm. and you have planned the route accordingly yep Mm. so that is our number one (laughs) be prepared there are other things that we've talked about generally across you know some of the other episodes that are still applicable so you know one of those is around the right gear for the right weather so Mm -hmm. in Episode 11, we talked about gear for riding in the winter. So if it's going to be potentially wet weather or cool, then thinking about um, uh, you know, gear that will help protect you from the rain um, and keeping your gloves, uh, your fingers nice and warm with proper gloves that are going to do that. Um, and if it is going to be warmer weather, episode 15, we talked about riding in the summer. Um and, you know, the different options there in terms of helping you keep cool but also still safe and protected. Uh, but, Mark, when you were thinking about your your trip over to Melbourne, what were some of the things that you thought about when you were picking the gear that you would take with you? Um, yeah, it was particularly tricky, that one, because I was expecting a, a range of temperatures dropping mm. down to, like, daytime temperatures of you know, 14, 15, 16 degrees maximum, mm. occasional rain, and then getting towards the end of the trip, getting up into the sort of mid-20s-ish, which is starting to get a little bit, you know, not hot, but certainly warm during the middle of the day. So yeah, uh, flexibility in gear and layering and mm. using the gear that I had that, that I could sort of rip layers out of. But the the other thing in there, and I've got a reasonable amount of gear just because I ride so often right throughout the year, it was trying to pick the absolute best gear that I've got to do the job. Mm. Um, boots, for example, yes, I wore my proper riding boots for the entire trip, covered right up, right up the leg, covering the ankle, mm. lots of stability, lots of protection. And even if it had been hot for the whole time, I still would have worn boots. They just would have been lighter weight, yeah. but full protection boots. So it was uh, – and about the only thing that I didn't wear that looking back I possibly could have was my back protector mm. just because I was doing extended periods of high speed. If I'd come off, yeah, okay, a, ba- a back protector was probably about the only thing that I left in the shed. Every other – tool that I had at my disposal in terms of the best gear that I had in my kit 
I used on that on that trip. And that's not to say everybody has to have every you know to buy every different bit of kit that you can possibly buy because it gets really expensive. But yeah. use use the best of whatever it is you've got. Don't leave anything in in the shed at home and then get out and think, oh damn, I wish I'd worn my better gloves or helmet or visor or whatever else. So that was probably the learning for me from it. What about you now prepping for like we are now only a week and a bit away? Anything on your side around your bike or anything else that you're thinking of? Uh, I think in terms of gear, it's it's pretty similar. It's that balance of you know the best quality gear that's going to give me the most protection possible because similarly going to be riding at quite high speeds for a fair chunk of the time, mm-hmm. um, and you know I, I want to have as much in my favour as possible if something was to go wrong, um, but also balancing that with comfort um, because yeah it's a couple of days of riding and then the yeah, a couple of days at Sheila's mm. and then a couple of days riding back and I don't want to be taking you know two completely different sets of gear uh, because of limited storage so for me that looks like um, proper boots that come all the way up the ankle kind of almost mid-calf um, so all the levels of protection through there but they are really really comfortable shoes for just kind of walking in um, mm. I really, really love um, full proper riding trousers that are also really comfy. Um, similarly with the jacket, um, and I think I've got one that does have a back protector space in it. Um, and again, it's one that has um, layers that I can take in and out if it's warmer or cooler, um, but offers all of the protection and armor through um, the back and the elbows and the shoulders uh, and stuff like that um, and full proper helmet um, and the gloves is the probably the one that I'm still deciding on which one which gloves to take with me mm-hmm. depending I think on how how much uh, it is likely to rain <laughs> which we never quite yeah. know um, versus uh, you know how hot is it going to be but probably be leaning towards the middle of the ground gloves I think um but essentially same kind of idea what's the best that I've got that's going to be that good balance of protection and comfort given the conditions that we're going to be in mm-hmm. mm. sounds fair I think the other thing um that we've been thinking about as part of this right again that we've already talked about more generally especially in episode 13 um, was just thinking about the storage setup so taking into account that on a bike you've got limited options for where you can and ways that you can store gear um, you know We've done a little bit of work to get a few more options than when I had, I think, when we when we recorded episode 13 and I did a, a bit of a ride up to the Clare Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we will have a video on uh, Instagram and on YouTube coming out uh, not long after this, just kind of showing the gear, the proper storage setup um, that we've got going, at least on my bike, mm-hmm. for the ride over to Sheila's, including the top box, some panniers, um, and the flying solo rear seat bag combo, hmm. which means I'm not having to have a backpack. Um, got really good freedom of movement, but actually have quite a fair bit of storage options, I think, hmm. on that one. <laughs> it's a, yeah, um, 
for our listeners do check out uh, the the posts about that because it's yeah it's turned out to be a, quite a good no actually not quite a, a really good sort of touring rig setup I think and yeah. should give you some good flexibility around where you can store your gear and mm. once you get that set up and on the road I think it's going to be yeah it's going to be really good you can have a great time. I think I think it's going to look pretty good, nice and modular. Looks pretty easy mm. to you know get things on and off, so that's always handy. Definitely. But our takeaways from today, in terms of uh, choosing and prepping the right gear for um, a long distance ride, Mark, what have we got? Um, kind of. Well, I think we we talked a little bit about it, but um, prevention. You know, prevention is a big part of a successful, safe and enjoyable trip. So you can do all the preparation around things to bring with you, but also really important to just think about planning your, planning the route that you're going to be taking, uh, planning mm-hmm. those stops, knowing what where the bike stores are along the way, where the fuel is, where the food is. And having things like that list of bike shops and uh, spare money, things like that, just so you can be as as prepared as you can be on how you're going to tackle that route. Mm-hmm. And I think along along the lines of that is also, as you mentioned, um, you know, in terms of preparation, having a bike that's ready to go. So if you've mm-hmm. done you know, the regular checks, the regular maintenance um, and, you know, a, a recent service and check your tyres and all those types of things, then that is going to put you in the best possible space to have a smooth and easy ride no matter the distance um, together with the the route and the uh, bike shop details as, as you mentioned as well, Mark. Mm. And probably one final thing is that this all sounds great in theory, but odds are the first time you do this, you are going to end up with, you know, (laughs) at least one and a half times as much stuff that you think you want to take with you than you have storage space. Mm-hmm. And you will come down to, you know, similar to any kind of touring in any vehicle, it's just more acute on a motorbike, having to make decisions on on what to bring, what not to bring, and always look at the highest value versus the smallest space and the least weight. Mm. That is the tension that you are going to be struggling with. So anybody that's done hiking, backpacking, camping, anything like that, where, you know, a similar kind of concept, it's, it's very similar to that. You are trying to get the most bang for the buck for every little bit of a space that you can, because on a motorbike, you are really limited in what you're going to carry. So think it through in advance, uh, do some mock-ups, do some planning, have a list of stuff and then be brutal, be, be ruthless in what you leave behind. I feel like this is a this is a subtweet for me because I am a chronic, chronic overpacker. Uh, so this is going to be a fascinating challenge for me um, and definitely in the lead up to Sheila's, I've, I've already kind of tried to start thinking through what what to actually pack and then doing a bit of a dry run through all of the different bags. The other thing being at least with, with the setup that I've got, the top box has um, you know, a weight limit. The panniers have a weight limit. Um, mm. And so you're know, thinking through what can reasonably go in which bag is also another aspect of that. 
you know, value versus mm-hmm. smaller space and the least weight and um, how is that going to balance across the different storage options? Absolutely. Mm. It'll be good. You, you're going to have a fantastic time. It will go well <laughs> and you'll keep on learning and that's what this whole thing is all about. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun uh, and I'm excited to hopefully bring back to you all some uh, exciting stories from Sheila's. Um, but uh, next episode, we have uh, interview my conversation with Amanda Phoenix from Flying Solo Gear and Peak mm. Moto, hashtag not sponsored. Um, just a big fan. But please, until next time, ride safe and have fun. Beyond the Pillion is brought to you by Kahiwa Sabaya and Mark Drexler and Woman Moto, the online magazine for women motorcyclists. Go to womanmoto.com. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube at Beyond the Pillion. Drop a comment or send us a DM to let us know what you want to hear more about. And if you like this episode, please leave a review or tell a friend.